Today on Government Matters, the Department of the Air Force's first chief software officer says the U.S. is headed down the wrong path in how it pursues artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, and other technologies. When Nicholas Chalon said goodbye to the Defense Department last month, he warned that the U.S. will have no chance of competing with China in the coming years if it isn't smarter, more efficient, and forward-leaning through agility, rapid prototyping, and innovation now. And a look at the U.S.'s technology policy and the ethical questions raised by an aggressive approach to adopting artificial intelligence. My conversation with a technology policy expert on how the U.S. is pursuing advanced technologies. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. China has made advancements in hypersonic missiles with nuclear capabilities. The outcomes of the tests raise questions about how far China has modernized its military and if the U.S. has fallen far behind. Nicholas Chalon is former chief software officer of the Air Force. Nick, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. You know, I want to start with uh, artificial intelligence. The Army's CIO has said that the U.S. has better AI technology than China. Do you agree? No, I don't agree. I think it's very short-sighted. I think uh, what the, the mistake we, we see being made is we compare the U.S. companies' uh, capabilities with the ones of China. And quite honestly, the U.S. companies are leading in AI and machine learning, uh, but we do not have access to most of these capabilities in the wolf fighting sense. So effectively, there is a massive wall between the U.S. government and the U.S. companies where, of course, uh, China has the luxury to mandate their companies to work with them, effectively getting full access to all of their uh, data, but also of the entire uh, capabilities around AI with uh, self-driving cars, vision capabilities, and effectively that, that helps them lead faster and move faster and deploy capabilities at a much faster pace as well. So Nick, are you saying that right now, currently, the U.S. is behind China technologically in artificial intelligence. Yes, the U.S. government is definitely behind the, the Chinese government when it comes to adoption and deployment of AI and cybersecurity across um, across the government. Uh, it's certainly a, a very uh, big existential threat when it comes to the nation and our kids. And that's why I think it's so important we wake up now before it is too late. I'm, I'm just tired of uh, seeing reports after reports saying we have more time and we see China catching up and and keep calling uh, China a near peer adversary. We're already in many fields that will matter and the one party that will matter the most for the next battles uh, will be uh, already uh, being led by China for the for the next 10 to 15 years. So the director of DOD's Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, the Jake, has said that he wants to field AI slowly and incrementally. And you commented that, quote, Pentagon leaders continue to put our nation and kids at risk because of continued incompetence and lack of urgency. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what's uh, the, the biggest gap we see in the U.S. government right now when you compare to what's being done on the commercial side is a lack of training and investment in our people. Uh, effectively, the, the fact that we still do not use basic agile principles that have been created 22 years ago when I started my company, I was 15 back in France and was implementing agile to be able to move at the pace of relevance. But yet you see, again, um, the, what, what we end up having is leaders that really want to do the right thing and, and they are good people, right? But they just do not understand 
how being agile works. They think if you're going to move too fast, you're going to fall down and be able not to be able to stand back up and, and keep the fight. Uh, where really, effectively, the only answer is to move fast and incrementally and continuously deliver value and be able to demonstrate what sticks and what doesn't work. And really, that's the way you know companies like SpaceX are able to innovate. And that's why you see now that thanks to them, we can finally stop using Russia uh, as uh, as a capability to send you know uh, uh, American astronauts to the International Space Station, which was you know a disgrace for years, and that's only because of innovative companies that are embracing concepts around DevSecOps and and agile as as a foundation to what they do. So Nick, let's talk about specific recommendations then for maintaining superiority in AI and other technologies. You know, clearly the Defense Department isn't going to become a commercial industry overnight. It's it's very large and it, it, it goes deliberately and slowly. So specific recommendations then for maintaining that kind of super, technological superiority. Well, the, the first step is really to start investing in our people and really empower our warfighter at the lowest level. We see a lot of great uh, talent already in the department. They're just not empowered to succeed. So we really want to end up uh, prioritizing this um, agile training as a foundation so we can actually understand what it takes to move at the pace of relevance and do small incremental delivery of value. We also need to stop creating joint teams, right? So I think having a cloud uh, and a, a, the DevSecOps, a zero trust, joint team, AI team, reporting to DevSecDef and having the ability to um, bring the best talent from all services and stop the reinventing the wheel when you see you know programs like JetC2 that are trying to do this join all domain command and control capability where really at the end of the day all the three services are building their things in a vacuum with ABMS overmatch and and project convergence all you end up seeing is waste of taxpayer money and, and more compounded problems to then integrate all these disparate systems and compounding the cybersecurity risk and threats uh, by having to deal with all these redundant capabilities. The fact that we don't have a single cloud capability and we've seen you know, uh, so-called Pentagon leaders for um, over three years talk about JEDI, which ended up being nothing but a whole bunch of lawsuits um, and, and no one is held accountable. Uh, I even hear JEDI being used sometimes as a success story uh, by the former defense digital service uh, leaders, uh, which is completely mind-boggling to me that um, you know we, we would even dare to think of this as, as a success story. All right. Well, Nick, we're going to take a quick pause right here, but we're going to come back and continue our conversation. Coming next, more of my conversation with Nick Chalon about his experience at the Department of the Air Force. Straight ahead on Government Matters, his recommendations for DOD to get ahead of China. We'll be right back. Standing up to China's military could be a logistical and workforce challenge for the Pentagon. China's developments in artificial intelligence, retention rates, and more all put them ahead of the U.S. military. That's according to Nicholas Chalon. He's former chief software officer of the Air Force. Nick, you spent three years in your position, and you've had a lot of successes that you're proud of. Why not stay and try to make changes from within? 
Well, first of all, uh, you know, we, we demonstrated that a small group of people can actually achieve great outcomes in the behemoth that is the, the DOD. So we have a lot of hope. Uh, we were able to put, you know, best of breed um, capabilities, open source and AI machine learning capabilities on the U2 jet and fly the jet and receive over the air updates while flying the jet without impacting the airworthiness of the aircraft and showing that AI can actually bring tremendous value uh, to the pilots while flying the jet. We also saw that you know when you put AI uh, capabilities on jet uh, and you have uh, the best US pilots, every single time the, the pilots ended up losing against the AI. So that's very concerning as well. And, and so at some point I, I was raising the same problems again and again, and I, I wasn't seeing any sense of urgency. At best, I was seeing more and more reports coming out saying we have more and more time, which I, I just knew was not actually true because AI compounds upon itself and the more data you get and the faster you move the harder it's going to be uh, to catch up and you're competing against a nation with 1.5 billion people uh, so you're going to run out of time very quickly in fact we estimate that by december 2022 uh, we will be out of time and we will not be able to technically catch up only because of the velocity and the volume of data we're talking about, it's going to be very difficult for us to then uh, take a stand. And so I thought, you know, I'm running out of time. Our kids are running out of time. I'm talking about the same problems every day. It's better for me to keep the fight, continue the fight from the outside and raise awareness. And honestly, because we overclassify everything in the department, we have a tough time explaining this to most of the U.S. companies, so they would be proactively willing to come and help us. Well, I, I want to ask I want to ask you about that, Nick, because as part of your LinkedIn post announcing your departure, you say this quote: "The DoD should stop pretending they want industry folks to come and help if they are not going to let them do the work." What do you mean, mm -hmm. not let them do the work? Well, you know, it's, it's just easy to say we're going to bring people from the outside to make change. And uh, we've seen the same thing when we send, you know, people uh, to do tools at Google and then they see all the, the fancy stuff that the, uh, the the Google of the world are doing. And then they come back, you know, even more frustrated because they can't implement any changes to improve the system. And you, you're pretty much stuck in the same status quo and people even end up living even faster because of frustration. And it's kind of what I've been seeing is, you know, you bring people like me in the department with actual experience, this, these uh, concepts and bringing them to life in a tangible manner and we're doers we're not uh, talkers and we want to we want to go ahead and do things and we're wasting time first trying to find dimes compared to the the size of the DOD's budget you know some of the the, the stuff that frustrated me the most was the uh, the jet c2 minimal viable product that the joint staff asked me to build which was effectively a 20 million cost to completely drastically improve the way we communicate and share data with nato and five i and, and unfortunately, we allegedly couldn't find 20 million in the department to make this happen, which was supposedly the uh, you know most important mission that the, the Secretary of Defense wanted to push. Um, when you you look at the 750 or 60 billion budgets of the department, it's obviously ridiculous. It's a rounding error. And, and when you keep putting people like me in situations like this, where we just want to move and stop talking and, and do it, and, and you know I'm being asked to do it in four months, and then we end up telling me two months in, hey, just kidding, we can find the money. This is just something that's very frustrating. Nick, I want to ask you about cyber defense, because you did mention that in your post as well, and obviously we're seeing more breaches happening. How are we doing in that area, and what are your recommendations? So I, I think the, the cyber defense side, both of DHS with crit critical infrastructure and of, of DOD is really at the kindergarten level. And I, I mean it, you know, I, I, I think what, what you, when you compare it to what I know and what we do on the commercial side, you know, I've been pushing zero trust five years ago 
at DHS, all to hear the DHS leaders say it was too early and that they, they didn't want to do it. Now, of course, it's been mandated in the latest uh, present cyber executive order. So again, that, that tells you a little bit of the velocity of the government, right? You, you're pretty much lagging at least five years behind. And that used to be okay, but now with the, the, the pace of IT, you don't have that luxury anymore. And, and I would uh, allege that many of the cyber breaches you've seen in, in the last five years uh, involving the old pipeline and the water facilities and the, the power facilities uh, would have been prevented uh, with zero trust. And so for leaders to say no at the time was borderline criminal. And now, you know, you see the DOD implementing zero trust, uh, finally trying to do that. You know, I pushed zero trust, of course, when I started in the department, built the largest implementation of zero trust with platform one in DOD. We have all that um, capability ready to go, but yet we see, again, DOD CIO and DISA uh, start a, a complete brand new bid to implement zero trust in the department starting from scratch instead of reusing the great work that the Space Force and the Air Force have put together in zero trust, which is again, the largest implementation in, in the government. Um, and, and yet, you know, that's not reused whatsoever. Uh, we keep letting egos and silos get in the way of common sense. You know, I wanna ask you about the supply chain because I do know that some of our chips come from China. What needs to happen so that DOD has a secure supply chain? Yeah, and the, the, the state of the supply chain is is also very worrisome, right? Uh, and you mentioned China, but the rest of the chips are coming from Taiwan. So that tells you that uh, why, why Taiwan is so important as well uh, to this discussion. And again, how do you lead in AI if you do not have access to best of breed chips? Uh, again, it's all about compute powers. Um, so what, what you end up seeing is now a complete dependency on pretty much everything around us, uh, from drones to chips to, to, to pretty much everything around medicine and, and everything everything we need to 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 prosper and that's very concerning we need, we need to proactively invest and bring this back into the US we need to have the US companies uh, start building this back into the US and by the way it's not just a hardware supply chain risk it's a software supply chain risk as well because China could easily uh, inject you know time bombs where the, the the software will be triggered at a specific event to completely kill the system and so we we know this exists we know this is an actual cap uh, capability that exists out there and and we need to proactively address this issue um, um, right now, it's at the state where we're completely dependent uh, to those supply chain uh, issues, both in terms of just basic disruption that we've seen with COVID, but also what happens if we get into a, a deeper fight? Uh, what's going to happen there? Nick, I just want to close with, you know, we've talked about a lot of things that maybe need uh, work and need improvement. What's the one thing that you're most concerned about with regards to China? Well, I think it's a lack of urgency and complacency. You know, um, what I the, the simple fact that we keep calling them near peer adversary and, and we, we, we just use great excuses after excuses to say, hey, yeah, they're catching up, you know, they're getting closer, they're getting closer. Even when they're leading, we keep dismissing it, saying, well, they, they're kind of leading, but not already. We still have a little bit of time. I don't know why we're even comfortable with them getting closer to us. All right. Well, Nick, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us and sharing your perspective with us. Thanks for having me. Coming next, more on the future of military security and the U.S. facing China's advances in technology and artificial intelligence that surpass the U.S. Straight ahead on Government Matters, I speak with a technology policy expert about the inside perspective. We'll be right back. With the growing threat from adversaries, including China, the pressure is increasing to take a more aggressive approach to advanced technologies, including AI. But there are ethical concerns. 
Dustin Carmack is a research fellow in the Center for Technology Policy at the Heritage Foundation. He's former chief of staff for the director of national intelligence. Dustin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Where are we in comparison to China when it comes to artificial intelligence? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I believe I've heard, you know, the, the previous uh, guest that you had uh, mentioned a little bit about where we are in this fight. And I think, you know, where China currently is, is that they have large data sets, as he mentioned, and they are advancing very quickly as it relates to surveillance technologies. Uh, they've got a, a great uh, landscape of which they've used to essentially surveil their people. Uh, and so when it comes to artificial intelligence, they've essentially abused it from an ethical standpoint uh, to rapidly advance a lot of their technologies as, are, as it relates to a subfield of artificial intelligence. And so that's where, where we see us in this fight is that the U.S. Is needs to really pick up speed here in which we go through all of our fields uh, while doing it in an ethical way. So what about other technologies like hypersonics? Hypersonics, yeah, the test that, that was just mentioned here recently uh, from the summer, there was two tests apparently, uh, is really concerning, but it's not it's a surprise to me. Uh, they have been making rapid advances in technologies and the sad fact about matter of this is that a lot of the technology computer forensics that go into this product likely came from U.S. technologies or other Western technologies that essentially the Chinese have stolen and helped implement and move quicker in a, in a testing fashion. And so when we look at this technology and how our defenses compare to it, it's very concerning because of the, of the way the hypersonics work in terms of our radar systems and how we can track those and our capabilities to defend against them. You know, there's been a shift in the intelligence community recently away from counterterrorism toward near-peer adversaries, namely China. Do you think we have enough intelligence um, and enough resources dedicated to China? Well, I can say this. When I, when I was working for uh, Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, last year, uh, we shifted uh, the IC's budget, which is you know, the primary function of ODNI, uh, we shifted that budget upwards of 20% uh, focused specifically on China and the great uh, power competition that we're seeing now. Uh, it's not that, you know, that counterterrorism has lost any kind of focus, you know, especially 20 years after 9-11. I think, you know, the threat of terrorism is, is still rampant around the globe and what we've seen in Afghanistan. I think we're going to continue to face massive challenges there. But where we need to go on China is a very hard target. It's very, uh, it's a, a difficult environment to really pick up intelligence. Uh, from and so where we're going on this uh, resource wise it cannot wait any further and so I agree uh, that we need to pick up the pace. I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier which is China collecting this enormous amount of data on its own citizens they're also exporting surveillance technology to other countries what impact do you think that's going to have on the United States? Correct. If you look at how they're uh, working through the Belt and Road Initiative uh, to press technologies to essentially give 5G in a box uh, to countries at a discounted rate, with that comes with a lot of the national security concerns that the intelligence community and others have as related to those technologies of how that data possibly could be funneling back to China. The FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr this week uh, raised uh, concerns as it relates to DJI drones, which is one of the most prominent drones markets that are based out of China in terms of how that technology and some of that data could reach back to China. And essentially the, the, these data sets, if you look at what happened between you know, the OPM hack, the Equifax hack, 
other mechanisms of just purchasing U.S. user data, uh, which is openly available right now, they're gaining massive data sets that can be plugged and played, even if they don't have the technology to use it right now. In the long term, they can use this technology to gain a massive insights from a national security perspective of government officials all the way down to everyday people, you know, American citizens that could be used in foreign and malign influence campaigns in the future. You know, we talked to Nick Shalon about the supply chain. Where else are we vulnerable? And, you know, what, what are the biggest vulnerabilities we have briefly? I think if you look at his discussion of uh, cybersecurity, uh, and I think, you know, this year is kind of, you know, it's been a cybersecurity month, uh, the month of October. Um, and I think there's been a lot of good focus on this. I think there's a lot of good folks in the government that are working on this. But what I worry about uh, is the same concern that he has with the artificial intelligence piece is that the vastness of the bureaucracy uh, around DC, even if it's meant in good fashion, if it's meant for uh, you know, capability purposes, it's, if it's meant for accountability, uh, we are not moving quick enough. And so when it comes to where we are on cyber, we thought we were in a pretty good place, you know, ahead of the solar winds and some of these hafnium attacks from these nation state characters such as Russia and China. And we are clearly aren't in a good place even as a government, let alone making sure that we are protecting the, you know, 90%, roughly 85 to 90% of critical infrastructure in the United States is privately owned. And so we've got a long ways to go before we get there. And so that's, if you look at that supply chain and, and cybersecurity is part of that piece, but we've got to get our own systems uh, protected, especially in the future of, of technology such as quantum, uh, quantum computing and the ability of quantum to break possible encryption. Uh, we've got a we've got a, a lot of work to do. All right. Well, Dustin, thanks so much for joining us. If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. And tell us what you thought about today's program. You can reach us on Twitter at GovMattersTV. Follow us to get the latest updates and a behind-the-scenes look at our program. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 10.30 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges.